welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, editor of EHS Daily Advisor. As part of our offerings for National Safety Week, in this episode, I talked to Dr. Douglas Casa, CEO of the Corey Stringer Institute, and Margaret Morrissey, director of the National Heat Safety Coalition, about the need for increased awareness and safety standards around heat illness in industry. And now, on to the interview. Hi, this is Jay Kumar, editor of uh, EHS Daily Advisor, and I'm joined today by Dr. Douglas Casa, CEO of the Corey Stringer Institute, and Margaret Morrissey, president of the National Heat Safety Coalition. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, heat illness and, and uh, protecting workers. Uh, so welcome, folks. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. Thanks for being here. Um, and, and I guess um, we can just get started by, uh, I wanted to have you guys tell me a little bit about yourselves and and sort of, you know, what you do. So uh, why don't we start off with um, with Margaret? Sure. Um, so as you said, Margaret Morrissey, I'm the Director of Occupational Safety at the Corey Stringer Institute and also the President of the National Heat Safety Coalition. So the National Heat Safety Coalition is a branch of the Corey Stringer Institute and we're housed at the University of Connecticut. And so this branch is entirely focused to eliminating heat-related injuries and illnesses in the workplace. And so heatsafetycoalition.com is our website. And we're really trying to industrial uh, revolutionize industrial heat safety by providing solutions tailored to organizations and different industry sectors, and also being um, really a hub for knowledge towards and education towards heat safety. Great. Um, Maggie, so also, so let me explain also how we hope to really kind of get inside of organizations to help them like on site. Yeah, so one of the really great services that we provide is a on-site heat safety assessment where we're able to go on-site to different organizations, review what their current plans are, and provide recommendations that are specifically tailored to their workers, to their structure of their safety initiatives, um, which is really, really um, awesome thing that we're doing. And we're also reviewing heat safety plans and providing educational materials for organizations as well. So we're really excited to get started with that. Great. Um, Doug, if you could tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure, yeah. I'm Douglas Cast. I'm the CEO of the Corey Stringer Institute. I'm also a professor in the Department of Kinesiology at the University of Connecticut. Um, the Corey Stringer Institute was founded um, about 11 years ago on April 23rd, 2010. Many of your listeners may recognize the name Corey Stringer. He was an NFL all-pro offensive tackle for the Minnesota Vikings, um, who passed away from heat stroke in 2001. He's the only NFL player to ever die during a practice conditioning session or game in over the 100-year history of the NFL. Um, I assisted his, his widow and his agent and the lawyers for the um, eight or nine years after his passing as an expert witness. Um, and when Commissioner Codell took over as commissioner, um, he and um, his um, Corey's agent and Corey's widow asked if um, I would want to host a lasting legacy for Corey at the University of Connecticut. That was like 09, and we opened our doors in 2010. And ironically, this week coming up, um, you know, August 1st, um, 2021 is the 20 year anniversary of his passing for his heat stroke. And uh, obviously, a lot of memories that come back related to that day and all the things that, that took place that day that, that could have been done to prevent his death from ever happening. Um, and 
obviously, you know, you, you're sort of the breadth of the organization is, you know, you're looking at the problem in the workplace, um, you know, all industries. Um, how serious of a problem is heat illness in the workplace? Maggie, let me, I'll let you answer a sec, second. But um, we are, so at Corey Stern Institute, we care about athletes, warfighters, and laborers. And the, the division that Maggie is now heading up is focused specifically on laborers. Um, and so I could talk about some of those other elements, but um, Maggie, why don't you talk about the heat illness issue and heat stroke issue in some different work settings? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it definitely is a growing problem within the workplace. Um, there isn't um, a lot of specific data that's really describing how serious this problem is. Um, there actually was a recent article out in the uh, New York Times that said that there's um, about 20,000 unreported heat-related injuries um, that are, you know, currently happening based on workers' compensation claims. So this problem not only is really uh, significant, but it's way more significant than people think. Um, so we're really here um, as our organization to let everyone know and, and provide awareness that this is a huge problem and we're here to help you um, protect your workers. And you basically uh, announced the co coalition, um, I guess about a month ago, um, what's been the response from industry uh, in terms of part, you know participating with you and kind of working to deal with this problem? You want to start, Maggie? Yeah. So we've done a large amount of uh, a lot of organizations very receptive um, and really interested in pursuing partnerships with us or having us come on site to uh, review their organization. I think that um, the a lot of the employers are starting to become more aware that this is a problem. And so I think we really launched this organization at the perfect time because it's starting to build a little bit more awareness and we're here to really provide those solutions for them. Um, yeah. I mean, when you, Maggie, what was the exact number? Wasn't it like every single heat stroke case costs like a company like 50 something thousand dollars, right? Yeah, $53,000. It's staggering to think um, because when, when a heat stroke is care, cared for properly, when you cool aggressively on site, people recover and are fine, you know, within a day or two. But when they're not cooled aggressively and their temperature stays high for more than 30 minutes, um, you often, the person often passes away. And if, or if they survive, they have long-term and sometimes permanent complications and the costs become enormous. So something so simple, if you do it right immediately, can become something so complicated and expensive um, over the long term when it's not dealt with properly. Um, that, that's one aspect is right, the clinical care and those costs that companies absorb. But the other side of doing proper heat mitigation strategies is that the workers are just more efficient and more productive. So the company's actually gonna get more done out of every worker when they're using proper body cooling strategies, proper hydration, proper heat acclimatization, proper education. So these small investments that companies would make for their employees could yield big dividends for productivity and then clearly also for um, eliminating costs down the road, you know, following heat stroke cases. Um, why do you think this is still a problem? I mean, obviously we've had hot weather forever uh, and, you know, terrible working conditions forever. Uh, why is it taking, taking employers so long to, to get on board with protecting their workers? Because obviously it helps them. 
Well, can I just say something quick first, Maggie? First of all, I think it's definitely getting worse, much worse than it ever has been. But there's a couple of reasons for that. Is one, global warming yeah. is this un uncontrollable entity that is obviously spiraling out of control much faster than anyone had predicted, you know, even 15 or 20 years ago. So that's a huge factor. But then the other factor is you have this massive population growth in the world that, you know, you're having to build more buildings, you're having to clear more areas, you need to like all of uh, more farming that has to be done to feed the people. Like, so you have all of these workers. I mean, I've, we've often said that, you know, there's hundreds of millions of people every single day laboring outside in the world in the heat. Okay, so I mean, you think about that. I mean, it's it's this entity. Think of all the farmers, all the construction people, all the oil and gas industry, all of the people every day in these settings. Um, and you know, let's face it, a lot of companies are focused on profit margin and often are you know think that doing the absolute minimal to care for the employees in those settings will enhance profit margins instead of thinking long term. You know, by minimizing medical costs and increasing productivity by caring for them properly. Um, I, I think the current perspectives are often short sighted. Yeah, you know, I've noticed um, just in the last couple of months, you know, uh, states have been sort of uh, enacting emergency rules for, for heat protection. I know Washington State just did it. Um, you know, obviously California's got stuff, o Oregon and Minnesota, I believe. So, um, you know, I think from a governmental level, it seems like there's more attention being paid to it. So I guess hopefully uh, employers will, will take heed as well. Maggie, you want to talk about that? Because there's some other things I know working through the channels. Yeah. So um, in, in terms of like government. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, there currently is a uh, heat safety um, bill that's going to be sort of passed or hopefully will be passed that's re related to work rest shade for workers and this would be the first federal standard because currently there's no federal standard to protect workers from um, heat related injury or, or um, just heat stress in general. So we've started to work with um, individuals who are in Washington to be able to, as the National Heat Safety Coalition, to be able to support their efforts um, to really, really drive that standards need to occur and there needs to be change within um, the industry setting. And um, kind of going along with what Dr. Costa said, there's also um, some employers, unfortunately, who put productivity over safety, which, you know, hopefully that's not majority of the case, but we actually just created a best practice document. Um, so it's a consensus document that has 51 experts who are who were a part of this big round table that we had. We had the experts from, you know, scientists to safety managers to clinicians. So just a large interdisciplinary group that focused on creating these best practice recommendations that not only protect workers, uh, so their health and safety, but also uh, preserves productivity. So we're, we're recommending we're recommending uh, solutions that are cost effective um, and that will be feasible. So it's really the foundation for what we hope to, to you know, implement in specific sectors of the uh, industrial setting. Maggie, if you, I'm gonna test your memory right now, could you mention to him the eight different sub-discipline areas that we focused on in that round table and that the, the, um, the best practice article that's coming out in a couple of weeks? 
Yeah, so we chose eight different um, topics that were related to heat safety that we thought it was really important for um, you know, employers to implement. And this document's tailored to the safety managers, so really the people who are boots on the ground, the ones implementing the safety initiatives. So we have heat hygiene. So heat hygiene really means just um, preparing workers for the heat, so better sleep, nutrition, wellness programs, body cooling, hydration, heat acclimatization. We have textiles and personal protective gear, environmental monitoring, physiological monitoring. And then lastly, we have um, emergency action plans. Nice. Well done. <laughs> Quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's coming out in a couple of weeks, you said? Yep. So right, it was it, it was accepted in GeoHealth, which is a peer-reviewed journal, and so we expect it to come out within the next couple weeks. Actually, so yep, we're really excited. I think, as I mentioned, it's going to be the foundation document for future solutions that we can create to different organizations. Um, and now you know you mentioned you do on-site heat safety assessments. Um, so how how would that work if you you know went to a you know an employer or a business? How do, how do you know, how does it, an assessment, you know, sort of proceed? Yeah, so typically what would happen is we would go on site. Um, well, it's really dependent on the size of the organization for it's like one to two days. We're there to observe their regular work conditions, um, talk to the workers, see how, what, you know, they think about heat stress and if that's a problem for them you know, have discussions with the safety managers, employers about what they currently have in place and what they find um, are big areas of concern for their uh, particular work site or organization. And so then following that observation period, we'll, we then create a full report for each um, organization that says, here are the areas of concern, here are the things you do well, here are the things that we can work together and improve and really just create a uh, progressive implementation plan to get them towards or to best practices. So, have you really uh, Have you done any uh, of these assessments yet, or is, is it still sort of in the planning stages? So we we haven't done any yet. We do have several um, scheduled. So um, in August and September, um, since we did just launch, but we had an incredible amount of interest in in the heat safety assessments, particularly um, the on-site ones, because really just us being able to go on-site just really makes all the difference because, as I mentioned before, we can make these recommendations that are going to actually apply and not just, you know, a general recommendation. So I think also we'll it's unique. I think it's unique and novel, too, because I don't think I don't think really anyone's ever done something like this before. Right. Where you have people who are content area experts. Um, coming on site to really help a company, you know, boots on the ground, um, look at what they have in, in existence, how that's worked so far, um, compare it to best practices, see what their current challenges are, and then offer potential solutions um, for them to overcome, you know, particular hurdles that they're facing right now. Is this an area that's sort of been, I wouldn't say overlooked by, you know, sort of the government regulatory bodies like OSHA? I know that they have materials about you know, heat safety. Um, was it just something that's, you know, kind of been, I don't know, just shoved, shuttled to the side or something? Or like, why why is this still such a, uh, why is there such a need for awareness uh, on this issue? 
I, just, to me, it's like staggering, like literally blows my mind that you, there's no federal like mandates or statutes to protect workers in the heat um, in America. Um, and you, when you think of all the other regulations that exist in our country, um, it's a, it's a pretty amazing that those workers are not protected in any manner. As far as I know, if I'm missing something, Maggie, you know, certainly let me know. But I don't know of any federal standard. I know there's state standards for heat safety, but I don't know of any particular federal standards. Why do you why do you think that is? What do you think, Maggie? So I think it has to do with, like we had mentioned before, um, awareness of um, the dangers of heat and not only um, you know, heat causing heat related illnesses, but also can cause injuries, you know, increased falls, things of that nature. Um, so I think people are realizing that it's, you know, impacting their workers more than they thought. And as Dr. Casa had mentioned before, I think, you know, our changing climate has really had people more, you know, aware that, okay, this is a problem. So it's going to be, you know, a problem for our workers, but that's not to say that it hasn't been a problem always, but um, it, I think that people are starting to recognize that, it's time to to start, um, you know, a heat safety federal standard, and you know, provide recommendations for organizations. I think another thing too is is that it's become much more clear. I think in the last ten or fifteen years that we have evidence and science and research that we have the solutions to a lot of these problems, um, and I think that's kind of now permeated a lot of different areas. And people realize if we have simple solutions to overcome these huge problems, why are we not one at least encouraging them, or two maybe mandating them? Um, and you know, another one of the services that the coalition provides is a heat safety plan review. Um, are you are you finding that there are companies that don't even have heat safety plans, and why oh, yeah. is that? That's yeah, I think it's kind of the um, so I think there's also like a safety culture component to it um, as well. So I think that people just think, you know, that's something we're not going to need. There does. We don't need to have a specific plan regarding it. But um, we definitely would say to that, that that, you know, they really should, because not only is it going to help like heat illnesses, but just worker productivity other, you know, cardiovascular health outcomes, things like that. So um, really important for them to implement. I think a lot of people don't realize that when you have great heat safety plans in place, like Maggie just mentioned, you dramatically decrease the risk of other medical conditions, especially cardiovascular conditions. Um, so there's this, uh, which is a much greater risk than heat illnesses itself. Yeah. Um, but mm -hmm. so you have these proper strategies in place for heat safety, but, and you say you have a lot less heat illnesses, but you also have less on-site acute cardiac events, which obviously there's another huge upside, another big win for the company. So what would go into a, a, a good heat safety plan, you know, just in sort of broad strokes? Yeah, so, I mean, as I mentioned previously, our upcoming document will really, you know, share a lot of this information, but um, just a very, very general work to rest ratios based on the environmental conditions, Hydration, hydration like availability as well as just you know hydration strategies in general and just progressively introducing your workers to the heat um, to avoid any uh, heat related illnesses especially once they are you know starting a new job or once it starts to get really hot. Those okay. are 
Yeah, sorry, Maggie. Um, I've served as an expert witness on a lot of cases um, for laborers who've had heat strokes, you know, during their work. Um, and a, a great majority of these cases happen in the first three to five days when they're doing labor in the heat. So maybe they're coming back from vacation, starting a new job, or have a new assignment within the job, or it gets really hot. Um, you know, that uh, you might have a train, a crew fixing track, right? And they're now just were sent to a place that's really warm. Um, and then the people are in these unique novel heat situations and, and there's not strategies um, to help them. They're not phasing in the amount of time in the heat. There's not shade provided. They don't have cooling during the course of the day. They're not having proper rest breaks and either number of them or length of them. Um, so it, it almost always happens when there's unique or novel stresses, whether it be the intensity of the activity, the environmental conditions, um, or often those two things coming together. Um, and I was talking to a to an attorney for an article uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he mentioned that you know you've also got a lot of people coming back to work after a long you know a business has been shut down for a year and a half because of COVID, um, and there's not enough training on you know safety procedures. Uh, you've also got you know the fact that some you know, folks are uh, not vaccinated; they still have to wear a mask, and that can you know sort of accelerate the the effects of the heat. Um, you know, are you, are you sort of seeing, you know, an increased number of incidents just because of sort of that additional factor of people, you know, coming back to work, being desperate to, you know, need the work because they've been out of work for so long and you pushing through maybe when they shouldn't, uh, you know, in this heat? Oh, yeah. So, and we're definitely just getting, um, there's a lot more people who are, you know, starting work having not you know they're not accustomed to the work that they're doing because they've been at home um so that certainly would increase the risk uh for heat related illnesses um if they're working you know pretty pretty hard in in hot conditions definitely i don't think we have a i don't think we have a sense of the numbers yet though because this is all just evolving in front of us right now um and a lot of those industries actually work straight through covid um, because they were still picking the fruits and picking the vegetables and still um, laying track and, and pumping oil. Like almost none of those industries stopped working during COVID um, because all of those things are supplies and food that you're still using every single day. Um, and in, in addition, you, know, you, you mentioned sort of, you know, obvi the obvious uh, effects of heat on outdoor workers. There's a lot of indoor um, professions that are affected as well. I know that, uh, I was talking to somebody about this and, you know, anybody who has to work on a, a construction in a vault or, you know, in a, in an, you know, sort of a indoor construction site, uh, restaurants and bakeries and anything where, you know, you've got a heat source and you're stuck inside and there's probably the ventilation isn't great. Uh, so I, I imagine you guys have to, or we'll be looking at those kinds of places as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And also just helping these uh, places be able to assess heat stress in general. So using environmental mo monitoring, because um, many of them don't really know how much heat, you know, their workers are are being introduced to. So um, just another thing that we we plan on working with um, outdoor indoor workers with. Yeah, I mean, you raise a great point because there are just a lot of indoor work situations that have oppressive heat. I mean, the steel industry, other places, any kind of welders and um, places that work around furnaces and like you just mentioned any places where there's large stoves and other things that are going all day and sometimes people are in front of them for 10 or 12 hour shifts 
Um, yeah, and you know, it just seems like, and sort of the the effects of humidity too, right? I mean, you know, even if the temperature isn't very high, it could be seventy five degrees out, but if it's ninety percent humidity, that can obviously, uh, you know, take take a toll on you. I'm a runner, so you know, I know that a, a day when it's ninety percent humidity, I, I don't want to be out there, <laughs> you know. So, well, there's no yeah. question. Obviously, if it's really humid, you're not going to be dissipating the heat. You're not going to cool yourself down. But also in a lot of these work settings we haven't even mentioned in this discussion is they're wearing a lot of uh, personal protective equipment, right? Right, right. Um, a lot of those indoor workers, you know, they have massive amount of clothing on. And then a lot, as you know, people outside as well will often have to have stuff on. So that just complicates the whole process even more because normal ways in which you might cool um, are really limited when you have on, you know, a lot of equipment and then some people are also carrying a load in addition to having on the actual gear that might protect their skin some people actually have to carry 20 30 40 pounds of whatever it is to do their job yeah definitely and i think on top of that you have some workers who have underlying medical conditions so that are going to make them even more susceptible to heat related illnesses so it's just a lot of different layers that you know need to be addressed in in heat safety solutions we um hope we'll be able to help and protect these workers. Um, and the coalition, you've got a couple of partners. Um, Mission, it develops uh, cooling gear and Magid with those um, PPE. Uh, how, are, how are they sort of uh, participating in the coalition? And you know, how, I, I imagine they'll give you a good perspective on just sort of what needs to be provided to help people with um, you know, dealing with heat illness. Absolutely, yeah. So Mission, we've had a, KSI has been partnered with Mission for like, I think the last seven or eight years. So we've always had a good relationship in terms of um, them being innovative with cooling products and us obviously caring very much about performance and safety in the heat. Um, but Mission came to us um, because they have a relationship with Magid um, because of what Magid does in terms of getting PPE equipment out to workers and trying to find this kind of this kind of this trifecta that doesn't exist, right? You know, KSI, has the knowledge, um, has the, the insights, does the research, um, has the educational abilities um, for all of these things to protect laborers. And Mission develops products that serve, you know, particular needs of these workers. And then Maggot actually gets this equipment and supplies out to the actual people who need them and also has a pulse of what the needs are of those workers. Mm -hmm. um, so the us three entities coming together is, I, I think, a bit of a natural fit to try and, um, you know, maximize the um, likelihood we might be able to help this population. Um, so, you know, say, obviously, there's a lot of work to be done and, you know, a lot of awareness to be raised, but what are sort of your um, sort of short-term and long-term goals for the coalition? You want to start out, Maggie? Yeah, um, so really, we, I guess our long-term goal is to help create um, these standards for the industrial sector um, and provide really specific tailored recommendations to each industry section as well as the size of the organization so that um, you know everyone's being protected as you know much as they can from the dangers of heat. Um, in terms of short term, we you know want to continue with our, our the services we provide by you know talking to organizations and doing on-site heat safety assessments but also really building a research agenda within the occupational heat um you know 
field because we still have a lot of research to be done and um that's really you know something important for us to share and then you know with not only scientists that are in our field but also you know safety managers employers um and others so it's important to know we're at its infancy in terms of research um to understand this population laborers and heat safety um so we're hopeful that this might also bring attention to some of those needs that we need to learn more about for potential federal funding and private foundation funding to help protect um, the labor who has to do, um, you know, their work in the heat. All right. Well, uh, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. This is really, uh, an important message and I'm uh, glad to be able to help you get it out there. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you, man. Thank you. That wraps up episode 73 of EHS on tap. You can find more information about the podcast and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time. Mm-hmm.